Welcome to the Data Cafe. I'm Jason. And I'm Jeremy. And today we're talking about the scientific method. Yeah, so I thought we'd stop in for a bite today, Jeremy, because I've had it in my mind to talk about the scientific method and what that means for data science and for data scientists. So I'd like to pick your brain about it a bit. Okay, that's interesting because, I mean, I'm not sure I I come from a traditional scientist background. I'm a mathematician by training, and then I got into sort of a hybrid area of computer science. But but you you are the scientist, Jason. So I'm, I'm interested. Yeah. You know, almost in rebounding the question and saying, what does the scientific yeah. <laughs> method mean to you as as a, as a physicist and astrophysicist? Yeah. Yeah. I guess we've talked about like. The scientific method has come up a couple of times in our jobs, and I think we've even mentioned it in the Data Cafe a couple of times. So as we go through our scientific training and we set up experiments in school and college and fundamentally gather our data and make our observations to prove or disprove a hypothesis, and this whole enterprise, I guess, falls under the realm of the scientific method. Mm. So, right. You can draw it in a pipeline and there's all these pictures online and I don't think it really flows so straightforwardly as that. But if I look at a picture and say the you know main boxes in this process flow, generally or historically, we observe something in the world and it raises a question. And that question is a topic of interest and may form a hypothesis. So you decide to run an experiment and to do that you need data. Mm. The experimental process can gather your data, or you may have some data, run your experiment, report on the conclusions. And if there's something interesting that like proves what you thought was true, you tell everybody about it. Yes. And then other people repeat that. And if enough people repeat it enough times, confidence is built that your hypothesis, yeah, it wasn't a fluke. <laughs> hey, so, so there's an interesting set of concepts there which i think sort of form the essence of of a scientific method it's it's the it's it's the the observation based aspect of it you you're taking measurements often you're yeah. you're 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 getting data so that that fits right into data science straight away anyway you're constructing a hypothesis around how a phenomenon or an object works and you you're testing that hypothesis um, so there's lots of you know associate techniques that you might have to develop around that, and of course then you've got. Sure. I love the bit that you said at the end, the repeatability. Yeah. So important that that what you've done, you can you, you've written it down in such a way, and traditionally in a scientific journal, of course, or but not not necessarily these days. Yeah. And then so another group can take your data, take your algorithm, or take your approach, and go, yeah, we we were able to do that, and and we got exactly the same results, all within the margin of error, I guess. Yeah, exactly. They replicate it in some way, and there's a big push nowadays to make sure that everybody can replicate it. So we have versioning, let's say, so you can say exactly what version of your software that you used was what got you this result and it allows for things to advance but still be recorded historically but what is on my mind is that in data science and we talked about the complementary team before that you bring together a lot of different scientists and they will have fundamentally used the scientific method in their field 
But in data science, we kind of have this funny world where there's now a wealth of data being gathered in various ways that may not even have been set up for a specific purpose. You know, you could have so much data from Mm. Twitter, let's say, and everything's going on on Twitter. And it gets really difficult then to mine it in a way that you're setting up for the hypothesis, to set up a construct where your data is clean or representative or the right sample. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, sort of, but I'm sort of going to throw it back to you and say, well, it's not like the sun was set up to be, you know, mined and (laughs) analysed and, 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 um, you know, investigated and picked apart, was it? So, I mean, you know, these things are not there for our convenience. (laughs) In that sense, it's quite realistic, I think. (laughs) Yeah, um, the world is messy, right? (laughs) Yeah, right. Um, I think that's, I think, ask any data scientist and they'll tell you, uh, they'll tell you lots of stories about how, exactly how messy the world is. Yeah. And I mean, to put it in perspective of like, when we say something about like, yeah, sending satellites up to observe the sun, there's so much riding on that, that we set it up right. We put a lot of investment into, well, what is the exact hypothesis? What is the exact experiment? What is the exact data? Because it's really expensive if you get any of that wrong. Yeah. Whereas in the world of Twitter, when I gave that example, there isn't any of that. It's just the, all of the characters being spewed out by everybody all over the world using the platform. And I just wonder, is there something to the scientific method that we need to make sure is maintained when you take any sort of off-the-shelf model or build a piece of software that fundamentally has assumptions in it and fundamentally makes a hypothesis has a business decision maybe at the end of it Mm. and there needs to be a scientific rigor that comes with forming the hypothesis and that's what the scientific method can allow yeah i for me it was always it was always about the sort of the test and learn right I've got a phenomenon it was rarely a phenomenon I have to say in computer science it tended to be I've got a white box not for my particular brand of computer science and black box and and I'm applying it to a particular data set and I wanted to understand or a particular environment I wanted to understand how my algorithm impacted and reacted to that that data that environment yeah so I might be t- trying to construct a, a a ranked measure of which web page is really important or something yeah. like that and there's loads of parameters involved in this um and some are some are significant and some are not and so what what I would tend to do is to say right well let, let's let's tweak a parameter you know and see what it, what impact it has and then there'll be a measure at the other end of the process which looks at the output and goes this has had a dramatic impact. You know, I've seen a significant improvement because of that tweak in the parameter. That's the assumption. From, from a data science perspective, this, this transfers really well because you've got this idea of keeping the vast body of your setup the same, changing one thing as much as possible, leaving everything else the same and seeing, yeah. seeing what the impact is of that one, one change and ideally being able to infer, and it is a bit of an assumption, that the change you then saw was as a direct result, of course, from the change that you made. Yeah. What do you get from that? Well, you, you get the learning, you get, you get to create a, a hypothesis about your environment or about your algorithm or about your, um, 
um, about about your problem domain and, and your decision that's being impacted, and which which then can lead to more experiments, more tweaking and testing and learning and all of that sort of thing. So, yeah. I think what we're fast getting towards is it, it, you start to get a nice looping and iterative process, don't you? Yeah, which is really important because. Uh, even when you draw the scientific method, you can draw it as a loop and say you come out of one experiment with some conclusion and that's fine, we can replicate it and that's proven, but we also have 10 new questions and we want to run 10 new experiments with 10 new versions of data. You know, go through that test and learn that you're talking about. And there's the problem. or I mean, maybe a problem. For many, it's the excitement, right? Which is that, oh, wow, I started with something I thought was really straightforward and now I've got something which is, I've got, you know, I've got 10 possible data sets and 10 possible questions on each of those data sets. So and I've got 100 investigations to carry out. And that, I think, in in a scientific environment, in especially in an academic environment, yes. that's great. That's just grist to the mill. That's exactly what you're expecting. You can you can divvy that up amongst your PhD students, your graduate students. You can you can um, have a plan for how you're going to tackle investigating and prioritizing those over the next three years, right? Yeah. But that doesn't quite work in a commercial setting and in a data science exactly. setting. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And this is where I think. We need at the core of our efforts the scientific method to be understood so that we follow the correct process of, correct. you know, forming our hypothesis and knowing that our experiment is, experiment is valid and the data is valid for the setup that we have. But I think going into it, we also have at the outset to know the decision, to know the impact, to know the cost where that line gets drawn. And how much do we need to verify our assumptions? How much does our hypothesis need to be proven mm. before the impact is realized, before that decision is taken? Because your business model, you know, depending on the context, might hinge upon it. Mm. Um, it might, might be something subtle or it might be a massive change in your business operation, let's say. I think the, thing, the change I noticed when I, when I started working in industry a few years ago now, um, the change the change I noticed was how important it was to get a really salient and to the point hypothesis out yeah. of the out of the box, right? Yeah. To get the exact concept that you were trying to test or trying to prove that if you did show to be true or not true, would would enable you to access the the decision, access the the impact that you're your data science algorithm was exactly but you know see what you didn't want was a a, a sequence of you know interesting investigations which in the end it gave you answers to some questions but those questions didn't really help you with right i think that's where our stakeholder management is so important because when we set out to run one of these scientific experiments on the data set that we have and to answer a question it's exactly what you just said we need to bring that back to the stakeholders version of the question (laughs) what is it that they're going to actually say is the hypothesis that they had that was interpreted then in the experimental setup that we had or the model that we may have built and i think that that's where it's so important for us as scientists to bring them into that way of thinking and that's possibly where i see a opportunity for a disconnect that needs to be oh, yeah. seized upon you know i see that in 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 many projects where i have you know well-meaning stakeholders approach, approaching 
the team some you know at a critical point in the project and they will they will show this disconnect very straightforwardly by just saying how long is that going to take oh of course <laughs> yeah and yeah. as a data scientist and as a scientist that that instantly causes sort of flags to go up and sort of alarms to ring because i'm going yeah. it's an investigation i can't really i can't really give you a how long which of course is a you know if they if they're used to doing some kind of gantt chart based sort of yeah. um uh, project plan then yeah. then that causes instantly causes a bit of a problem um so i i think there's some really interesting um you know, nice modifications then that, that come from that uncertainty at the heart of this uh, data science and scientific process, which is to say, I, I don't know. If I knew the answer, I wouldn't have to do all of this fancy stuff. I mean, you wouldn't be paying a bunch of scientists to do this investigation if I knew the answer. The whole point is we don't know the answer and we're going to have to work out what that answer is before we can really progress this to the next next stage of the project. Yeah. And it raises the question of when they're asking how long will it take, were we asking the right question in the first place? Because <laughs> what you should be asking is, do you have an answer yet? Or what is it that we need to do to get it and get confidence about it? Is it that we need more data? Is it that we need more resources? Is it that we need a new hypothesis to be visited with uh, maybe new set of stakeholders? Yeah, and so- sometimes you get lucky. Sometimes you can say, sure. look, we can get you a certain quality of answer and we can, you know, you, you tell us, how, you know, you tell us how long we got almost, you know, so if you, if you, if you've got a couple of days or a week, I, I can, I can get you something. So it, depending on the problem, if it's like an investigation and you're sort of slowly exactly. refining your answer and getting yeah. a better and better answer, you say, well, I can get it to this good and I can probably even give you an approximation of how, how close this good is to what you want for your, you know, statistical matching algorithm or something. Um, but on the other hand, if it's if it's an investigation where you know you don't even know whether there is an answer, is there a signal which means that I can identify a cancer in a in a medical scan or a medical image, and I just don't know whether whether I can see. It. So answering the question, how long will it take, yeah. is much harder then. Yeah. So I think at the core of it, we need to make sure that scientists can adhere to the scientific method, but. There is a fundamental outline of what the question is up front that needs to be agreed and maybe compartmentalize how much time is allowed for pure research or formation of a hypothesis or gathering the data. Yeah. There's frameworks to do that. You know, we can have a whole discussion around that another time. But that iterative process. I know there are companies who do just investigative epics at the beginning of their projects where they say this epic, yeah. this two week sprint, this four weeks of sprint or whatever we're, we're just going to be doing investigation so that's definitely one way of doing it but i think for me and the, the other thing which i didn't mention i ought to have done was that when you're as a team when you're setting these hypotheses you should absolutely carry those hypotheses through to your the way that you set yourselves tasks and so your hypotheses should really i like i like my hypotheses to be questions I, because i like them to have a yes or a no answer and for one of and yeah. for either of those answers to be a, a valid possibility. Whereas, you know, in traditional project management, typically, you know, so you'll say, well, you'll have a block of time that's associated to put the roof on the house. The answer, if the answer to it is, well, we couldn't, that's not really acceptable. 
(laughs) But in some, but in data science, it's absolutely fine to go. Can we find a, um, a a nice, you know, customer preference metric, which tells me what film that an individual is going to enjoy watching? Yeah. Um, and the answer may be no, not in the way that's useful to you right now. Um, and, and in which case you need to reform the question. You need to think about another way of presenting the problem. You know, there are lots of ways of, of, of then rebounding that and going, okay, well, we still need to make progress, but maybe we're making, should make progress down another, another arm. I think you know, to summarize just off the back of your analogy there, it's a case of, yeah, we're putting a roof on a house, but this might be a house we've never built before and a roof in a format we've never used before. So yeah. our old timelines don't hold. Using materials that no one's ever used before. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> ah, that's yeah, exactly. Thanks for chatting this out with me, Jeremy. No worries, Jason. That was fun. Thanks for joining us today at the Data Cafe. You can like and review this on iTunes or your preferred podcast provider. Or if you'd like to get in touch, you can email us, jason at datacafe.uk or jeremy at datacafe.uk or on Twitter at datacafepodcast. We'd love to hear your suggestions for future episodes.